brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Election College, episode number 215, Rachel Jackson and Emily Donaldson. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we're getting real deep into the First Lady series here. And the deeper we get, it seems like the more interesting the roles become. Uh, people being first lady and then being married to the president, and then people being first lady and not being married to the president. It's weird, but we're going to get into it here. Yeah, it's kind of a rocky road. And then you get that's a bunch a, of cousins involved. That's an ice cream flavor, just so you know. I'm hungry. I actually am really <laughs> really hungry. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that it matters to our podcast audience, but just thought you should know. So Rachel Donaldson was born about 10 miles outside of Chatham, Virginia, near the Bannister River. And this was in 1767, so a while ago. And her father is John. He's a colonel. And he actually was one of the men who co-founded Nashville, Tennessee. ring a ding so thanks. ding Oh, I love Nashville. You know, it's really sad, but I've never been to Nashville. Oh I've been goodness. all around it. I've been all around it, but I've never been in town. It, it There's just this vibe about Nashville, Tennessee that is amazing, and I love it. I've heard good things. A lot of breweries and stuff, too, popping up. So mm -hmm. It's a great yeah. place. Her grandfather, I'm sorry, her great-grandfather, his name was Patrick, and he was actually born in Scotland. So she's of some Scottish descent, as you can tell. And her mother's name is Rachel Donaldson. Wow, she has 10 siblings, seven brothers, three sisters. Jason, you have one sister. I have one sister. Do you ever think about what it would be like if you had 10 siblings? I wouldn't be able to keep track of them. And I wonder, like, you're probably not as close to all 10 of them as, mm. say, we are to our sisters. I don't know. It's like we have some cousins that, like... We know and love, but we don't know them like we know other cousins that we have. I almost feel like if you had that many siblings, it'd feel more like cousins sometimes. Yeah, probably. But like growing up, your dad was kind of like my cousin, even though he's my uncle. True. Kind of weird. And then now you're my cousin. I mean, yeah. you've always been my... As long as you've been in existence, you've been my cousin. <laughs> it's like you had two cousins in the same family. Whoa. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That didn't... But it's like your dad's my cousin, but he's not. And you're like my cousin, but you are. But I'm closer in age to your dad. <sighs> you're double dipping here on cousins yeah, in my family. But we're over the next couple episodes, we're about to go nuts. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> Actually, we have already yeah. been all cousinified. People are already double dipping and having their cousins be their wives and stuff. So oh, It's nuts. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would not marry your sister. 
No, nor would I yours. So, hey. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, everybody listening. Just some fun facts for you. So they end up moving the family, the, the Donaldson family, ends up moving to Tennessee around uh, the time Rachel was 12 years old. And a whole bunch of people move with them down there. And the Donaldson family is actually one of the first groups of white folk who settle in Tennessee. Uh, there had been, obviously, Native Americans and uh, maybe some other individuals as well had settled there. But they were the first amongst the white so in 1787, she decides, hey, Captain Lewis Robards, you seem like a nice dude. You're from Kentucky and all, and you own some land, and you're a speculator, and hey, let's get married. And he's like, sure, let's do it. Turns out it was not a very good marriage at all. It was just a couple of years later in 1790 that they separate, and she just made the assumption that he would file a petition for divorce. She goes back to the family home, the Donaldson family home. And, you know, there was a nice guy who was boarding with her mom. And his name was Andrew Jackson. And shortly after she returns home, they go down to Natchez, Mississippi. She's assuming that her husband filed the divorce papers and all that and everything was good. No. That wasn't the case. So she was a bigamist. Yeah, that's tough. That's a rough title to get it's, on accident. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just flat out said it. But I mean, she wasn't thinking she was a bigamist, but right legally. It's also interesting because all the you know authorities, the, the governments are changing because different places are becoming states instead of territories. And uh, there's also the uh, the fact that they were married in Mississippi, which was controlled by the Spanish. So is that legitimate or not? There's also the fact that where they were married, only Catholic marriages were recognized and they were Protestant. So are they legally married that way either? So basically nobody knows if they're married and if they are married, they're definitely bigamists. So sorry about your luck. Yeah. Isn't that weird to think about Mississippi being Catholic? Yeah, it really is. I just... I don't know. That just doesn't seem right. But not, not so not just Catholic, but so Catholic that you can't get married if you're a Protestant. Yeah, because in this yeah. era, if anything, you're going to be persecuted for being Catholic. But right, oh, they're Protestant. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So lots of stuff going on because you know Kentucky is not really its own state until 1792, and Tennessee was not yet separated from North Carolina. So lots of red tape. And uh, yeah, we could probably do an episode. Maybe we should do that sometime. Talk about how states became the way they are or something. I don't know. Oh, man, that'd be like 50 episodes at least. Yeah. So <laughs> so when we run out of things to talk about, maybe we'll do that. <laughs> um, but in 1793, it becomes very apparent that Robarts had not been granted the divorce he actually filed but because of all of this crazy stuff going on with states and territories and so on just never was granted so rachel gets the title hey you're a bigamist you are an adulterer and in 1794 the government was like yep hey lewis robards you're granted your divorce and oh, man it all just 
hits the fan <laughs> as far as this goes. You got everything working against them. So eventually, in 1794, the divorce is legal, and Andrew and Rachel get married again at the Donaldson home. So they're married for a while. Uh, they never end up having children of their own, biological children. And in 1809, they adopt a nephew. And his name is actually Andrew Jackson Jr. And I think they gave him that name. Uh, a lot of times you'll see him referred to as AJ. And uh, I guess that's how we tell the difference between Andy Jack and AJ. Yeah. Anyway. Young Hickory. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was somebody else, actually. But anyway. Oh, yeah. uh, he ends up marrying a woman named Sarah York, and she was from Philadelphia. And then in 1813, the Jacksons, President and Mrs., adopt an orphan boy who was a Creek uh, from the Native American tribe. And they, they had, he'd been found on a battlefield with his mother who had died, um, presumably from the battle. They named him Lynn Koya. And Lincoya was, you know, kind of grew up alongside of AJ, and uh, Andy Jack even had some aspirations of sending him to West Point, et cetera, et cetera. All said and done, he ends up passing away of tuberculosis in 1828. So I'm skipping a little ahead there just to tell you how that works, but uh, essentially you can imagine that Rachel treated him like her own and raised him as her own son, just like she did AJ, who was also not her biological son, uh, but was also adopted. So it uh, seems like they, even though Andy Jack kind of gets uh, a rough, well, and he was a rough guy, but even though that's the kind of perception we have of him, apparently he cared enough at least to take in a couple kids who needed taken in. Yeah. It further gets complicated because around 1817, they adopt Rachel's sister's grandson so that makes her like the great aunt right uh andrew jackson hutchings so not only is it a different type of relation the kid's name is andrew jackson <laughs> so <laughs> it's like boy so he attends school with aj and lincoya and just know that there was another and he also served as the guardian for the children of general edward butler and also the children of Rachel's brother, Samuel Donaldson's son. So, my goodness, people, there were kids in and out of the Jackson home. Yeah. Let's get back into Rachel's direct life. The election of 1828 is coming up, and man, we think we have it bad today, and we do sometimes with politics, but this election was pretty contested. It was, it was not a fun time. And John Quincy Adams is running. And he's running against Andy Jack. And he pretty much says that Andy Jack lacks any, quote, passion and lack of self-control. And, you know, he really makes this kind of a central point to his arguments that why he shouldn't be around. Well, to add to that, they dig up some dirt and they find out that, you know, the whole thing with Rachel and her first marriage and how it technically wasn't over by the time that... Um, that she and Andy Jack got married. And one newspaper finds out and goes as far as to say, quote, a convicted adulteress and her paramour husband to be placed in the highest offices of this free and Christian land. And so this just kind of spirals ridiculously out of control, causes a ton of stress on Rachel, as you can imagine that it would, and I'm sure a ton of stress on Andy Jack. And she's got some 
issues potentially as well already. Yeah. So 1828 campaign is going on and this is just, I mean, just rough. Like Ben was saying, Linquoia Jackson dies at home there at the hermitage and she is just depressed. She can't keep composure at all during the campaign and it's just rough going and Andy Jack wins the election in November but then shortly thereafter just a few weeks thereafter on December 22nd of 1828 she has excruciating pain in her left shoulder and then she dies and Andy Jack is like whoa no this can't be yeah, and so he's inconsolable. We talked about that in the past, and understandably so, of course. And Jackson, of course, blames everybody who was mean, basically, during the campaign, the you know those political enemies, and said, may God Almighty forgive her murderers, I never can. And so he really blamed the people who caused her all the stress and the emotional turmoil uh, for her death. Now, of course, it's entirely possible that that played a, a, a factor. Uh, it's entirely possible that she had other health issues, but nonetheless, uh, it couldn't have helped things along. So she never technically got to be first lady. And this is like the what, second or third one now that we've talked about uh, who never actually gets to be first lady. So therefore we need someone to take up the role of the first lady or of the, you know, basically the hostess of the white house. So, we talked about Emily Donaldson, her niece, and that's who we look to to take up that position. So if you have been counting the number of times we have said the name Donaldson in this episode, <laughs> you get a prize. I'm just saying that. You're not Your prize is that you get to leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. So Emily is born on her father's farm. In Donaldson, Tennessee. Her dad was John Donaldson. He's the brother of Rachel. Okay. She's Rachel's niece. It's much easier to say it that way. (laughs) And she uh, received a formal education. She studied at the Nashville Female Academy. And she was considered a really good student. In 1824, she marries Andrew Jackson Donaldson. And, yeah, like, they're first cousins. Yeah. (laughs) Man. No big deal. (laughs) So when Rachel passes away uh, in 1828, there's some speculation that maybe Emily had been already planning to go with them to Washington. When they were at the Hermitage, she had helped assist with some of the hostessing duties uh, to some extent while there. So there's a possibility she was already going to go, but this kind of made it for certain that she was going to be headed to the White House along with Andy Jack. And she gets to Washington. She's about 21 years old, so obviously quite a bit younger than Andy Jack. And of course, that's fine, uh, even if they were married, but they definitely weren't married, uh, seeing as how he's technically her uncle. And her uncle and her adopted father-in-law, I guess, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's, you know, she she takes up some of the hostessing duties. And then we get into the area era of the petticoat affair. And we have 
episodes about the Petticoat Affair. We've mentioned the pet Petticoat Affair or the Eaton Affair, whichever you prefer, numerous times. And uh, Emily gets totally wrapped up in this whole thing as well. Yeah. So Andy Jack is all about standing up for the Eatons, right? And he's doing everything he can to defend them and wants to get rid of his whole cabinet because it's just horrible, the stuff that is going on. All of the, the gossip and evil speak that Peggy is going through. So Emily is like, no, I agree with all of these other women. And I think Peggy Eaton is terrible. So there. (laughs) (laughs) So Emily and Andy Jack, they go back to the Hermitage for a vacation in the summer of 1830. And it probably wasn't a very happy journey because Emily refuses to stay at the hermitage she instead goes to stay at her mom's house and when vacation is over jackson goes back to washington aj accompanies him but emily's like nope so he's like hey emily come back i need a first lady (laughs) i need somebody to help me out here (laughs) and she says um no as long as you accept peggy eaton i ain't coming back yeah, so she ends up getting uh, tuberculosis, and her health really starts to deteriorate. And in June of 1836, she goes and tries to get better at Poplar Grove, uh, which is a plantation uh, very near the Hermitage, Hermitage. And she continues to get worse and worse and ends up passing away at the age of 29, probably directly from tuberculosis. And so... They say she died looking out the window, waiting for AJ to come home. So, oh, man, there's got to be a novel or something. Not that I would read it, but like she died looking out the window. That's the name of the novel. Okay, so now Emily Donaldson is gone, right? She dies Mm -hmm. and very tragic. But there's somebody we haven't told you about yet, and that is... Sarah York Jackson. Now, Sarah is married to Andrew Jackson Jr., so let's not complicate it too much, right? And, <laughs> oh, Andy I, think, Jack Jr. I think history has done that sufficiently for us. <laughs> Wait, what you do need to know is she is not a cousin. Right. She's from Philly, like West Philly, born and raised. That's right. And so she and Andrew Jackson Jr. get married in Philadelphia in 1831. They honeymoon at the White House, and then they go to the Hermitage. Now, the plan was Sarah and Andrew Jackson Jr., they're going to hang out in Tennessee. That's just kind of their deal. Right, yeah. And so they're going to hang out at the Hermitage in Tennessee. And, the, you know, they're managing the plantation and everything like that. And then fire happens. A fire happens. And it really destroys a lot of the, the main house at the Hermitage in 1834. So they and their children pick up, they move to Washington, and they decide they're going to live with Andy Jack, which is everybody's dream come true, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And so Sarah, when she gets there, she pretty much immediately uh, starts like pitching in and helping out with some different co-hosting roles, I guess you could say, along with Emily Donaldson. Now, of course, Emily is the you know more official kind of acting first lady at this point, but Sarah 
gets referred to as the mistress of the hermitage rather than the hostess. And so, uh, you know, he didn't want them feeling jealous towards each other or anything like that. And you can imagine that it would have been relatively confusing for some of the staff, I would imagine. Uh, This is really the only time when you have two women acting as the first lady. Crazy. Yeah. But when you consider Andy Jack and just what it would have been like to work with him, it probably was a good thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, (laughs) So Sarah hangs around when Emily passes away. She is there and she does go to the Hermitage a few times to oversee the reconstruction um, because of that fire. So Sarah remains the White House official hostess until Andy Jack's term expires in 1837. They all go back to the Hermitage. Um, Andy Jack passes away in 1845. But like most presidents, they have a lot of debt by the time they die. And... Andrew Jackson Jr. wasn't very good at managing the money. So this forces the sale of the Hermitage to the state of Tennessee in 1856. And Andy Jack Jr. purchases some land in Bay St. Louis or nearby Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, uh, where they moved to in 1859. So by the fall of 1860, they actually go back to the Hermitage. And, you know, the Hermitage is been sold off and so they end up as tenants of the state and really for the next well the rest of their lives it's kind of a sad life i mean they didn't have a whole lot of money they didn't have a lot of ways to uh, make money Uh, her husband died in a hunting accident in 1865 her son samuel dies during the civil war and then Sarah passes away in 1887, you know, while the Hermitage is still in possession of the state of Tennessee. And about two years after she passes away, they start turning it into a historic site. The Ladies Hermitage Association uh, buys it from the state of Tennessee and starts turning it into a historic site. Yeah, and they say that the Hermitage, if you go there today, there are going to be more relics from Andy Jack, as well as from Rachel Jackson, that a lot of those things that you you see at the Hermitage were actually theirs, which a lot of times when you go to these historic sites, they're finding stuff from that period or, you know, recreated items. But the Hermitage has a lot of artifacts that actually belong to them. So that's kind of cool. I've never been to the Hermitage. Neither have I. Oh, driven past it lots. Yeah. And uh, much to my, I was going to, not detriment, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I, to be quite frank, Ben, it was only like a month ago that I went to U.S. Grant's birthplace, which I live 30 minutes away from. It's the first time I had been there. Shame on me. I tried to get you to go a while back, but we ended up going to William Henry Harrison's grave instead, which was fun too. Is fun a good word to use for going to visit a gravesite? I don't know, but just wait until we talk about the Harrisons because there's some oh, yeah. crazy stuff going on in their family. Yeah. Speaking of presidential households, I'm going to Mount Vernon in a couple of weeks. I'm pretty excited about that. Super jealous. You're going to have an awesome time. I've never been. I'm hoping to. I'm hoping you're right. I might even make a trip to Monticello if I'm feeling ambitious. Now there is a fun place. Yeah. 
Hey, you know what else is a fun place, guys? iTunes. That's right. Over on iTunes, you can go ahead and leave us a review. Whether you listen to us on iTunes or not, just just go over there and leave us a little five stars and type a little sentence out maybe about how much you enjoy the show. There are thousands, maybe there are millions of people just sitting back thinking, man, if only Election College had one more review, just just one more, I would listen to it. And you could be the difference in whether or not they listen to us. Wow, it's kind of like a kitty table. It's like Thanksgiving. That's right. Around the kitty table, two times a week, with with your buddies, with your cousins, your virtual cousins, because we're not. We'll be your cousins. cousins. Yeah, we're not going to be your first cousins and marry you though. Anyway, so we'd love to interact with you over on social media. We're at Election College on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for checking us out and we'll talk to you next time. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.